Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. The bartender will be cleaning pint glasses with a dirty rag, but that doesn't matter because the beer is served in cans anyway. Unless the fish are literally jumping in the boat, I don't even care anymore. What? You ain't got a can of emergency corn underneath the seat of your Ford Ranger? You're going to die of something completely preventable because you're an idiot. Good morning, degenerate anglers, and welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that supplied the virus. It almost fried your 2002 compact laptop because you insisted on downloading it from LimeWire. I'm Joe Cermelli. <laughs> I'm Miles Nolte. <laughs> I actually, I was more of a Napster guy. Oh, so, so, so Lars LimeWire. Ulrich hates you then. Yeah, he, he doesn't hate uh, me. I hope he's listening right now. <laughs> I mean, I love Napster. The, the quality of the music was terrible, and you were risking like the security of your hard drive and everything on it every time uh-huh. you downloaded that, that Eminem bootleg freestyle from some <laughs> random bot in Yugoslavia, but I don't know, man. I, I liked the lawlessness of it. I, I I just enjoyed that at the time. Ah, dude, th- th- those were the days. There was also Kazaa and Diet Kazaa. Do you remember those? <laughs> I missed <laughs> those somehow. I don't oh, know how. Yeah, yeah, you were Napster generation a couple years, but anyway, I mean, it was gambling. That's what it was. Yeah. Call it like it is. Like, I want this, I want some Hoobastank jams. I don't want to pay for them. <laughs> Hoobastank? Well, <laughs> Will I be rocking out to Hoobastank in 10 minutes before heading to site class or or driving to Comp USA in my pajamas? You know what I'm saying? To beg them to save my computer at any cost. Click download to see what you've won. I got it. I got it from LimeWire, I swear. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, all right. Luckily, you always win when you click on blackriflecoffee.com slash meat eater. Yes, no Trojan virus is there. Uh, just delicious roast-to-order coffee that you can purchase by the bag or sign up for their subscription service and let the Black Rifle Coffee crew bring coffee to your front porch every month. I agree with all the things Miles just said, and as I think most of you guys know by now, the Bent Podcast is 100% fueled by Black Rifle Coffee. It keeps us firing on all cylinders so we can come up with the best peer-to-peer downloading jokes that you have ever heard. <laughs> And if you want to be as tax sharp and relevant as we clearly are, drop the promo code Meat Eater when you're buying your Black Rifle coffee and score twenty percent off your order. Speaking of uh, of relevant and tax sharp, mm. I think uh, I think we got we got a smooth moves segment on the cutting edge, so to speak. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's how I'd put it. Yeah, we've got a cherished friend of the program, Captain Zach Hammer Miller, joining us today. In our segment uh, dedicated to letting guides and captains vent about dumb things clients have done. And uh, as we know from past episodes uh, featuring Zach, he tends to be endearingly grumpy. And I'll tell you (laughs) what, dude, he was plenty grumpy when we recorded this because he was actually up here in Jersey when we laid this down. And this was just this past October for his annual hammer migration to the Northeast. And every year he comes up just to get out of the South Florida heat 
and do some striper fishing while enjoying chillier temps. And this year it was 80 degrees his entire visit. Oh. And the, the striper bite was non-existent. Like there were more kids building sandcastles on the beach than like peanut bunker in the wash. Yeah. So thanks, global warming. You ruined the hammer's trip, but you did make him extra salty <laughs> for smooth moves, which I appreciate. Why did you do that? Why? Why did you do that, Terry? Oh my God! Joining us today on Smooth Moves, my my very good friend, my dear friend of many years now, Captain Zach Hammer Miller, and I emphasize the captain because I did not when when I, we first met, you were no captain. We could not attach that to the front of your name. Yes, that is a hundred percent true. But. I want to preface this by saying thanks for having me back on. I didn't think I was ever going to make it back on because this turned into the Lance show and I got bumped in favor of that tool shed. You told him what I said about him, right? That just the sound of his voice makes you want to beat him mercilessly? My offer stands. I am here to fight for the good people of the Bent podcast in our battle against taking Lance down. Well, anyway, Zach is from Port St. Lucie, Florida, yet here he is in New Jersey for our annual rendezvous where we basically, like two high schoolers, just take over my in-law's beach house. Yes, pretty much. It's free. It's good. We got beer. (laughs) Joe actually has a half-eaten piece of cold pizza on the table in front of him right now without a plate, so it is kind of like college again. It's it's a throwback to college. Anyway, three years is still plenty of time, uh, especially in South Florida, to see some some clients do some absolutely ridiculous shit. So I'm going to give you the floor or the table here with the half-eaten pizza on it, and please regale us with the most WTF smooth move that, right. that comes to mind. All right. Well, let me take it from here. Finish up your pie real quick. But a couple years ago, I had a guy reach out to me, and he said he wanted to go tarpon fishing in the middle of the winter. And I'm like, ah, okay, you we're probably not going to catch anything, but if you want to pay for the boat ride, no problem. I tried to talk him out of this trip like 10 times, and he just demanded we go tarpon fishing. I'm like, all right, let's go. So we go out there. I just have to interject and say, um, so you're one of those those charter captains that's so into it, you actually try and talk clients out of going fishing. Oh, yeah. If it's not a suicide bite, screw it. It's not even <laughs> worth it. I swear. I, like It's not worth the headache. Unless the fish are literally jumping in the boat, I don't even care anymore. Okay, go on. But anyway, we go out there. It's a Chamber of Commerce day in December. 70 degrees, gin clear water. And we set up this guy and his girlfriend, right? This guy's about 50. His girlfriend's about 18. So... <laughs> He shows up with this brand new backpack saying he brought all the stuff we needed. He stopped at Bass Pro on the way down and he opens it up and there's like a thousand dollars worth of shit in his backpack. And I'm like, okay, I I got everything we need, though, whatever. He was just kind of bringing it so he could like flex on me. He's like, look how much money I have that I bought all this tackle. And I'm like, all right, whatever. So we set up, we're tarping, fishing, and we actually see a couple rolling around, but gin clear water. They didn't want anything to do with what we were offering them over there. Right. So. After a few hours, I'm like, listen, let's try to at least catch something before we go back in, right? I'm like, let's get up, reel the stuff in, and go. And he had the backpack laying up on the front of bow of my boat. I have a bay boat, so there's, you know, not a million places to sit. Right, right, right. And I fire up the engine, I pull up the iPilot, and I he sits down on top of the backpack. And I see him stand up, and he, like, looks down at the backpack. And then he looks at me, and then he looks down at the backpack again, and he turns around, he doesn't say a word, and there's blood pouring out of this guy's ass. <laughs> and I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, what just happened? And he, uh, I don't know. And he sits down, and the girl's like, oh, my God, your ass is bloody. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, everybody, uh, uh, hold on a second. So he opens up the backpack, and in the middle of his shopping spree, he decided it was a good idea to buy a brand-new Dexter filet knife. Oh, and it came in a plastic geez. sheath. And he happened to sit on the backpack, and the knife was so sharp, it went through the sheath, through the backpack, and literally tore his ass a new one. And he (laughs) dropped his pants on the front of my boat, and there was a big gash in his cheek. And I'm like, that's not going to heal for a long time, buddy. But he ended up chartering me again, went out in the summer, crushed him, absolutely crushed the sales and kings, and it's been coming around ever since. (laughs) I don't even really entirely know where, where to go with that other than I, I guess it ties back to the whole don't bring a, a mountain of shit because if you're hiring a captain he should have it exactly 100 percent. 
and friendly reminder that if Zach says yes to your charter inquiry, yeah. you're going to light him the f*** up. And f*** Lance. The more, like, depth and flavor that I get from <laughs> of, of Zach's just deep hatred of Lance V, the more, the more positive I am that he and I, we just, we got to hang out. Yeah, well, he's, yeah he's, 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 he's very vocal about uh, <laughs> his disdain for Lance. And yes, you guys would get along. Uh, I also got to say, you know, we've talked about clients bringing too much stuff on this show yeah. before and past yeah. moves. But in, in terms of tackle, I guess I can kind of understand the mentality of thinking you'll look cool, you know, or in the know or more pro, whatever. If perhaps you have, say, a nicer rod than your guide, or maybe you think you'll have some ringer of a lure or fly that he doesn't have, but a knife. Like, my oh, yeah. favorite part of fishing with a guide, especially in the salt, is that I don't have to cut the damn fish at the end of the day. No doubt. It's like a sweet little cherry on the, like, oh, I don't have to, I don't have to do I this. Know. So I just got to do the fun part. None of the work. Yeah, exactly. So why why would you think you'd wind up in a scenario where, where fish needed cleaning and your guide wouldn't have a fillet knife? That's I, mean, the, I, I don't think it's a question of thinking the guide doesn't have a knife. It's got to be just, like, pure upsmanship, right? Like, I guess oh, so. I, I, I picture <laughs> Crocodile Dundee, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah that's not a knife yeah <laughs> that, that's that's like what i was thinking was going on in his head but who the hell knows man like so so much client behavior is is nearly indecipherable it's 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 freudian really. yes it's like it's shrouded in in deep psychoanalytical <laughs> mystery yes uh hey, hey all you psych grad students out there looking for a dissertation or a, a thesis topic i think i think we got something for you check check that one out anyway Let's lift the veil on a different kind of mystery, one that's better suited to us English majors. In this installment of the Weekly Word, Joe's going to get a little bit nautical. But don't worry, all you folks in the middle of the country there, if you've got a boat of any kind, you have a pair of these words in your garage or driveway. Webster's Dictionary defines fish as... This week's word is gunnel which simply refers to the upper edge of the side of a boat or ship. Everything from a 10-foot John boat to a 72-foot Hatteras with a sexy Carolina flair to the Queen Mary to a canoe has a gunnel. But generally speaking, I feel like it's a term used more frequently by salty coastal anglers. As in, where's Tommy? Hanging over the gunnel, puking his brains out. Or, quit banging that sinker off the gunnel, you're going to chip the gel coat. Even though every one of those luns on Lake of the Woods chasing muskies and sea arcs hunting cats on the Mississippi has gunnels, I feel like in these settings, most dudes just simply call it the side of the boat. Regardless, it's an interesting word, particularly to me as an editor of outdoor content, because nobody can spell it. Take a second to spell gunnel in your head. I'll wait. If you came up with G-U-N-N-E-L, you have failed. And let me tell you what, many, quote, seasoned fishing writers have also failed that test. G-U-N-N-E-L, also pronounced gunnel, is a real word and a real thing. But ironically, it's a fish. According to Merriam-Webster's, the gunnel is an elongated, laterally compressed fish with a dorsal fin that runs along most of the back and reduced or absent pelvic fins. It occurs in cool inshore waters of the northern hemisphere. I looked it up and learned that it's pretty much an eel with the head of a baby lingcod, Miles can take that one for fin clips later. If you want to spell the gunnel that's on the side of the used 86 Proline walk-around covered in moss and slowly being reclaimed by the earth in your backyard, that would be G-U-N-W-A-L-E. Let's break it down. Back in olden times, like when black pepper and cumin and Montreal steak seasoning were more valuable than gold, or perhaps when Blackbeard was kicking off generations of debauchery in what is now Myrtle Beach, the gunnel was called the Gun Ridge. The top edge of wooden sailing warships had to be reinforced not only to support the weight of cannons, but withstand the recoil and offset the stresses created when those cannons were sending rounds over to opposing vessels. That explains the gun part of gunnel. The W-A-L-E part over here is sort of a ye old word for plank, derived from the even ye older word walu, which meant ridge. By itself, however, W-A-L-E is pronounced just like it's spelled, whale. So why is gunnel not pronounced gun whale? Best I can tell, even though whale never meant wall, some ancient scruffy sailors began pronouncing it as gun wall. And then they did that British thing where in order to say words faster, they take away a letter for no good reason. Pretend that W isn't there and now you have gunnel. Subsequently, this information has also just lent a modicum of credence to your insistence that your fishing boat is in fact a battleship. 
Scrabble enthusiast, you're welcome. I just gave you two new words so you can dominate your next socially distanced Friday night tournament. Or for those of you still waiting to make a move in a words with friends game that's been dormant since like 2009-ish, I'll say. I feel like that was the, the prime of words with friends. Surprise your cousin or roommate you haven't reached out to in 10 friggin' years and hit him with gunnel. Yeah, uh, come on. I mean, who's not playing words with friends right now in the middle of, of the COVID are, wait, times, dude? Are are they? Like is like is that still a popular thing? I don't even know. I am. I'll, oh, I'll admit well, it. Yeah. Yeah, but you're but you're like Canada with pop music. They're like a few steps behind on the billboards. Like Hootie and the Blowfish <laughs> is still the shit up there. I hate to say it, dude. Fruit Ninja overtook words with friends years ago. Okay. I am happy, happy, <laughs> happy to be compared to Canada anytime. Like that is totally good with me. You can do that anytime you want. And and I hope all of you out there right now are updating that words with friends app and, and searching for me so you can issue a challenge because I will take it. And while you're doing that, we're gonna update you with fish news. Fish news that escalated quickly. So before we actually hit fish news, this is where we take care of some housekeeping. And I just want to let everyone know about this, this collaboration I came across called Common Wild. And so people like Joe and me and, and the company we work for, we belong to this incredibly broad category referred to as the quote unquote outdoor industry. <laughs> right, and which could, which basically covers everything from extreme long distance high mountain yoga brands to dirt bike yes. manufacturers. Yes, like same, I mean, same group. <laughs> it's 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 anyone making a living off of people playing outside, right? And and that industry, broad as it is, often gets criticized. I'd say rightfully for making money off of our shared spaces without really doing anything for them. Yeah, like profiting yeah. off of it without supporting them. <laughs> right. So so this common wild collaboration is a chance for. Any outdoor brands, no matter how disparate they are, to come together despite their differences and try and leverage their their various audiences and customer bases toward three shared goals, right? And those are expanding access to public lands and waters, safeguarding wilderness and wildlife, and protecting public lands. Basically, they're selling some gear and they're putting 100% of the profit in good places. So if you're still looking for a Christmas gift and, and you want one you can feel good about, I'd, I'd say check out Common Wild. They don't have a whole lot of stuff. This is the first time they're doing it, but I, they got a few things, and I think it's going to grow year over year. So that that's my little plug this week for for housekeeping. Go check out Common Wild. I like it. I'm going to check it out because it's already well into December, and uh, <laughs> man, I have not gotten everything for all all the people yet. Um, I, I've done nothing. You know, I find it very stressful. I find, but that's good. I like that. That's a good shout out. I'm gonna I'm gonna give one real quick. I got a listener shout out that that must happen uh, very quickly here before we go on, and that's to Mr. Zach Smith. And Zach sent a very nice email to us at Ben at the Told us he loved the show, then tacked on. Uh, you did, however, joke about chumming for freshwater trout, and I did last week in yeah. news. I Chum said pots. that I said that nobody does that. Nobody would like chum for trout. And Zach continues, all contraire, amigos. See, <laughs> a few of us Appalachian Americans in West Virginia have perfected the art. Allow me the time to elaborate. And boy, did he. Boy, did yes. he elaborate. Yes. Zach, no bullshit. If we had a Bent magazine, I'd turn your email into an online story. It's a no six-step tutorial written in vivid detail, including key points like clean the old power bait off your hook before rigging your corn. <laughs> Right, <laughs> hang a bobber on your line between the two biggest eyes on your spinning rod as your bait soaks, and as he puts it, when the bobber smacks the rod to the tune of John Denver's Country Roads, you set that hook and yank that trout up that eight-foot bank. <laughs> I, I mean, dude, he even had fixes in case you can't carry out steps one through six, such as, what? You ain't got a can of emergency corn underneath the seat of your Ford Ranger? No worries, buddy. Put the power bait back on. Grab a handful of gravel from the dead-end dirt road. Toss three handfuls of it in the water so it trills as it scatters across the surface. Dude, I love this so much, and I wish so I wish good. we could read the whole thing. Uh, e easily one of my favorite emails we've gotten since we started this show. Made my day, and uh, that's going to conclude shout-outs for this week. Now we can move on to news. Remember, Miles and I do not know which news stories the other guys bring to the table. This is a competition, and uh, a winner will be chosen at the end um, when our audio engineer, Phil, chimes in to do just that. You, sir, lead off this week. You've got the floor. I'm up. Newsify us. I will. All right. 
So first, I'm going to I'm going to give us a little good news on the migratory fish front. And look, I know this is a beat I hit a lot and it's usually <laughs> like super depressing and everything's terrible and blah blah blah. blah. But I'm going to I'm going to try and give us a little bit of good is news. Is it right? West so, Coast so, Steel? Is it West Coast Steel? It's it's West Coast Rivers. Yeah, okay. Steelhead live in this river too. Okay. But, which which but is great. Not, when we cover specific. that, I just always feel like I'm like, I don't know what to say. I don't fish there. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think you will have some thoughts on this, okay. even though okay. you may not know about it. All right. Okay. So currently the Klamath River, which runs along the Oregon-California border, is blocked by six different dams. The Klamath used to see the third largest salmon run in the lower 48. But, mm-hmm. you know. Six dams. So now the coho runs are down like 95%. The spring chinook are down like 98%. And this is terrible. So the fall chinook runs have been so bad the last few years. The local native tribe, they had to buy fish from the grocery store for their annual salmon festival a couple years ago. Like that's how bad it is. It ain't like the Lewis and Clark days, bud. No. But again, like I said at the beginning, this is this is going to be a positive story, not my usual downer salmon. So so hang on. All right, back in 2008, a whole bunch of different groups came together and they agreed on a plan that would remove the four lowest dams on the Klamath. Those four hydroelectric dams are they're outdated and they're just kind of problematic, right? They were built before we understood the full impacts of dams, so they don't yeah. include any fish ladders or any way for fish to get through them to migrate. Like they're right. just they're just bad. They're just blockages. They're also really inefficient compared to modern dams in, in, in terms of generating power. And, and they don't do anything else. They don't, they're not irrigation dams. They don't do anything for flood control. So upgrading these dams into compliance with modern environmental standards, it would just be prohibitively expensive. Yeah. It wouldn't make any sense. Yeah. In fact, at this point, those dams barely generate enough power to keep up with their basic operations and maintenance costs. They're dogs, right? They're, they're not doing anything. So as a result of that, all these people came together. They came to this agreement. And that agreement for removal, it's just been stuck in these legal battles for the past dozen years. And I'm not going to go into the details of all this because it would take way too long and it's not that interesting but a recent announcement from just just like a week ago seems to get this project back on track and the removal of these four dams is set to begin now in 2023 so this would be the largest dam removal project yet proposed in the u.s on a single river and that's following a trend one that i like so in the past 20 years over 1200 dams have come down in the u.s with Mm -hmm. roughly a quarter of those since 2017 right so this is this is all good news Right? It's good news for migrating fish and for rivers and for estuaries. But something we don't like to talk about, removing hydroelectric dams also means that we're losing an energy source. Mm-hmm. Right, And yep. that's, that's an argument that those of us on the fish side, like we just tend to conveniently ignore that. Right. Like, well, we have all kinds of solar powered things and stuff. Yeah, it's like, all going to be fine, fine, right? No problem. So here's another side to that part. According to Forbes, I just found this article that just, just dropped. A new hydroelectric company called Natal Energy has been working really closely with fish biologists to redesign energy-generating dams in ways that won't harm fish passage and won't prevent nutrient and sediment flow, which is one of the other issues they have, right? Right. So the designs for these dams are, are different from conventional dams in a few different ways. First, they don't span the whole river. Right, like okay. you know, a traditional ram like yep. goes across the whole river and blocks the whole thing up, but they yep. instead focus on a small section of moving water so that a lot of the, the dam remains retains rather its natural passage. Second, they only require a drop of 30 feet to run their turbines. Right now, compare that to a traditional dam, which requires usually about a 900 foot drop. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge difference. And then also apparently they say they've come up with new turbines that they claim are completely safe for fish. And I, I, Huh. I do not I do not understand the physics of this, if I'm going to be honest. But the simple explanation from what I could kind of parse out seems to be that the blades have been totally redesigned so that the blades of the turbine spin, but they, instead of chopping fish into tiny little bits, they somehow push them away unharmed. And like somewhere in there, <laughs> they, they, they had this analogy, like it's sort of like an airbag. And I don't know how it works, but again, they claim they've got these turbines redesigned so they won't hurt fish. And all this... 
together is just say like, I really appreciate the thought and the effort and the creativity and all the collaboration that so many people seem to be putting into river ecosystems and dams and energy generation right now. I am, as you know, as I think everybody knows, I'm fully in favor of dam removal yeah. in terms of the ones that are screwing up our fisheries. But I also, like, I get it. We we need to be generating energy and we need clean energy from dams. So, like, I'm hopeful that we can get rid of all the old shitty dams and learn from our mistakes. But I also hope that we can find ways to, to harness the power of rivers without completely screwing everything up and, and maintaining their natural functions. I don't know that natal energy has this all figured out, but the fact that they're working on it gives me this sense of hope, which is nice because usually as we've covered when I'm talking about this, I'm like all doom and gloom and cynicism. And so <laughs> I get to feel a little, I found one that, that brought a little bit of hope to this topic of conversation. Well, it, it sounds great, but I mean, I think the reality is even if, if this stuff moves forward, I mean, this is this is years down the road, right? I mean, oh, yeah. like it takes so much time to to get us there. Uh, I am intrigued by a dam that allows passage because it doesn't block the whole river. So, like the turbine thing, that's just for like the dummies that don't know to go that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, particularly for juvenile fish, they don't necessarily have that much control when they're flushing that's downstream. That's true. They just kind of yeah. go wherever they go, you know. And and a lot of them get chopped up in turbines. I, yeah, yeah, and I spoke too quickly. You're right. The, the, yeah, the, the baby fish, that, that's a deal. But I will say, you know, these dam issues, it, it doesn't come up quite as often on the East Coast. Like, it's the dam removal is such a big thing on the West Coast with these salmon and steelhead runs. But just personally, I mean, there was a dam that got blown out on a know-nothing river here that you've actually fished, the Musconetcong in New Jersey, mm-hmm. right? Yep. It, it, it's a stalker stream. There's a, there's a little bit of wild reproduction there, but... You're talking about the Klamath, which has so much recreational value and could bring so many dollars in for a fishery. And now here's this little stream out here that, that that's nothing. It's just a pretty little stream in Jersey. They blew out a couple dams on the low end, and like overnight, like the next season, there were stripers and American shad in that river. So yeah, it, it's no joke how getting rid of a few, like how quickly that turns everything around. It's true. And and look, the reason that you don't there there's a ton of dam removal going on out east. You don't hear as much about it because your main marquee species, you know, yeah. that whole Atlantic salmon thing, we, we, we well, knocked them out a while ago. That's right? true. If, that's true. They if, don't if, exist if, in Maine like that. Yeah. Like if we right. still had Atlantic salmon, this same conversation would be happening out east in just the same way. Yeah. Right. In my opinion. And I also think that the folks on the West Coast are looking at Atlantic salmon as a cautionary tale and being like, we're not that far from that. We need to change up what we're doing. And and so at least that that's how I hope that dynamic's playing out. But I also haven't given up on the Atlantic salmon. I think there's a possible future for that if we can figure our, our shit out. We'll see. That, that's a huge, huge conversation, man, that we could get off on. But I mean, I've I, I Connecticut tried very hard to, to very get hard. that run going again. Didn't really work. And, and it really... Because you're right, it, it does all come down to dams. Like, unless they have a free run, it's going to be hard to ever reestablish that. Um, yeah. And I actually have fished a, a stream that runs through a farm of my wife's grandparents and, and caught tons and tons of fingerling Atlantics. They dumped them way up there, and that was all part yep. of the program. Um, so good good point, and I'm trying to think of how to use that to segue into my uh, – my, 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 <laughs> Always the challenge. I'm, yeah, I'm trying really hard. Sometimes I jot something down, and I, I have it. And and I just don't. Um, so we're gonna go from we're gonna go from the damn dams to the damn COVID. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> you like that? Damn it! Different that's kind of all I got. Back. Yep. That's all I got. That's all I got. Anyway, this story here comes to us from the website of Denver Seven News. Okay, headline: Ice fishing tents to the rescue. Restaurant owner looking to provide a personal dining experience. Okay. Huh. Now, most of you, I, you've already quickly put the pieces together here. Right? It's, it's certainly no secret that the, the Rona has dealt a crushing blow to restaurants. And, and while I was delighted um, to see outside dining create at least a little uptick in business over the summer, I'm sure I'm not the only one who was thinking like, well, that's great, but what the hell do they do when it gets cold, right? And yeah. now, now, furthermore, we all know that, that restaurants in many states are going to get their legs cut out again around the holidays with, with the COVID spiking across the country, um, which is, is going to put the kibosh on, on indoor dining, even though it was already reduced all summer. So good on Pam Breer. She's the owner of West Main Tap Room and Grill in Denver for thinking outside the box. And frankly, I'm not really surprised someone jumped on the ice fishing tent angle. 
I was kind of waiting for this to happen. She's just the first one that I, I see, I've seen come out and do this. So according to the Wait, story... You, you thought of this yourself. You're like, you know what they need to do? Yes. Put up ice fishing. T- no, all right. Bullshit. All right. no bullshit. No bullshit. I, I believe I, I, you. I, believe like, you. I, was, I was like, that's where this is going to go. And, and, and here it went. So Denver is currently back in the red zone in terms of virus transmission. And that means gatherings are limited. Indoor events are not allowed. Restaurants can only serve on the patio or takeout. And last call is 8 p.m. And Pam Breer is not happy with these renewed restrictions. Now, she says she got by all summer at 50% indoor seating and with tables outside. Now she's dealing with the cold, can't have anyone inside. So from the story, Breer said she considered purchasing a large tent to seat customers on one of her patios, but the $30,000 price tag was prohibitive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would imagine so, given the situation. So at a customer's suggestion, she purchased 29 smaller ice fishing tents and portable heaters. Okay. 13 of the tents will hold up to eight people and 16 of them will hold up to four people. And she says, we're going to advertise it as a personal dining experience for a party of four or party of eight. She said, now she also said, right. She polled customers to see if they'd be interested in individual tent dining. So I guess just like a table for one or two. And she said, many of them said, yeah, like I I'm down. So uh, according to her, if her tent experiment works, if this works, she may get through the winter and through the holidays without having to lay off or furlough employees again, which is what she's trying to avoid. And a couple initial thoughts on this, right? So first, just, just to put it on record, my heart bleeds for the restaurant biz. I have a lot of friends who are in it. I'm sure you have a lot of friends who are in it too. Oh, and, yeah. I, and I really do give her credit for the ingenuity here. But my big question, not to be this guy, but like throughout this entire pandemic has been, when does outside dining become inside dining? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm driving at? Oh, like, yeah. I've seen, exactly I've seen it saying. here. Like at the Jersey Shore, I was down there in October. Restaurants enclosed their outside seating in tents and fired up heaters. And I can't help but think, like, didn't you just kind of create the same environment There's as no inside kind of. dining, right? And But listen. To be, to be clear, I'm, I'm not coming down on these restaurants, right? It, it is kind of a loophole. They need to make money. And at least a few months ago, people around here had no issue packing into a heated tent to eat a burrito, right? So that's my first thought. Individual ice tents for a couple of members of the household, maybe. But like, would I cram into a well-heated ice tent for eight hours on a lake with eight dudes I don't live with right now? I wouldn't. Like, not I, a chance. I wouldn't. Right? Why? Why risk that to go ice fishing? Um, and just other thoughts include how long until a child gets burned on a propane heater, or some lady <laughs> chars the shit out of her Fendi bag? Because I don't think I've ever been in a pop up with a heater where flesh or clothing wasn't singed, like to some degree, by the end of the day. Something and, and, melts. And lastly, if you're a hardcore ice fisherman think man like what it what a treat it will be to dine in an ice tent while smelling of like zest or irish spring instead of ball sweat and while enjoying the aroma of rigatoni carbonara instead of you know regurgitated emerald shiners spilled miller high life and farts you know what a what a strange hey, twist you know i i have i have a lot of love for that particular aroma it brings me to some wonderful <laughs> it, memories it's it's you know, good the, the, it can the, be good the, it's like the smell of the, gasoline it smells the horrible the factory love it. memory brings you to some good places <laughs> is all i'm gonna say and i all right, i got a couple points one i think if i get this right it sounds like maybe i'm wrong but my i'm picturing individual parties dining within these tents not multiple tables with different people in there no 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 you're right so like they she has all these tents set up and you would reserve one it's like we're a party of 8 you yeah. get okay. you get the big shelter right you know? so you're you're making that choice i get it that's fine that makes sense to me i i that's the choice they're making that's great i think that's a responsible choice for her. i think that's way more responsible than what you were talking about like i throw a big tent over the outside and everybody yeah. sits together but here's the other thing. I don't know that this woman has ever spent any time inside of an ice shelter. It, it's and not as someone good. who has it's spent a, a lot of time in an ice shelter, <laughs> or a reasonable amount of time, and even lived in them for days on end, there's not a whole lot of room to move around. No. And so it's not the most comfortable place. Like part of dining out is being able to feel comfortable yes. and relaxed. And and that's not the experience when, when you're in an ice shelter. They're not they're not designed to spread out and enjoy yourself. They're designed to like huddle up and look down into a hole. Yes. Right. 
And then the last <laughs> thing I'm going to say is the people I really feel for here are the servers. Because you yeah. know how hard it is just to get in and out of a nice shelter Dude, you on took, your own. You, you took Can the you words right out of my mouth. Every time you're waiting, you're like, tray of drinks. <laughs> Every time they'll they're, be like, you're going to spill every sir, single can, one. Sir, the zipper's stuck. Can you unzip the zipper? And the dude's going to be like, which zipper? This? No, that just opens up the screen. The, the um, down zipper or the up yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, oh, Pam. I, I wish the best. I, but, but, I do yes, too. I, I really do. And so, I'll say this. I, I hope they're, ice, they're Eskimo ice shelters personally because I'm a big fan of those Eskimo there, there ice shelters. There you go. And I've spent yeah. a Dude, lot of time it, in them. It better be real cold out because you know as well as I do <laughs> – Oh, you God. fire up a propane in, in, in an Eskimo, like it's, I've been out when it's like 10 degrees and you're like taking shit off, man. Anybody yeah. who ice fishes knows like, like I, you know, right, they'll be opening the we're, flaps. We're, we're running super long on this one. I'm going to say one other thing on that point. I ran into a guy uh, deer hunting this year who was in his own and he had an ice shelter on top of his vehicle. I'm like, are you camping in that? He's like, oh no, I got a wall tent. We just use this for a sauna. <laughs> Seriously. There you go. Exactly. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. My second story uh, will not be a problem if you're the kind of person who only fishes inside of ice shanties but we all know that most of us fish most of our time outdoors yeah open and, air and it's kind of yeah it's it's, yeah. it's our preference and so i'm going to close out this my segment of this week with something it's not exactly news but i i think it's important and and it's just based off of something that happened recently so a couple of weeks ago i posted a picture of myself with a big ass bandage on my face after i had a trip to the dermatologist's office and honestly like i was kind of threw it up there and i was really surprised how many people reached out to offer like condolences, but to also share their own stories of, yeah. of similar experiences. Right. Yeah. And so I figured like, I, I just, I thought about that for a while and I decided I'm going to cover this in, in fish news. So for many, many years when I was guiding, I had this stock line that I would tell clients when I was covering myself in sunblock during a guide trip. And I would say that, well, you know, skin cancer is the leading killer of fishing guides. And then I'd usually follow it up with, with a stupid joke about cirrhosis of the liver being a close second. Right. And yeah, 
then now in researching this piece right now, I actually couldn't find any legitimate source material to support that claim that I've been using for however many years. I did, I did find a link to something that I wrote making that statement, but that's not exactly verification. Uh, and so listen, I'm not saying skin cancer isn't the leading killer of fishing guides, just that I don't think anyone's really tracking those particular stats. It very well could be. But here are some real actual stats for you. Skin cancer is the most common form of cancer. In fact, it's more common than all the other forms of cancer combined. One in five Americans will be diagnosed with some form of it by the time they reach 70. And unlike lots of other cancers, we know what causes it and we know how to avoid it. Yeah. We just don't always, you know do the things we yeah. know we should do dude i most most of my life i didn't want to hear it but like over the last 10 years or so i've gotten really serious i have a whole sunscreen regimen before i leave yep. the house to fish oh yeah as look man i'm the same way i i had my first skin cancer removed when i was 29 yeah. all right and and my doctor at that time just sort of put the situation in terms that even my dumbass could understand before he performed the surgery he just simply said to me here's the deal you're going to die of something completely preventable because you're an idiot. And there's no like swelling music. There's no melodrama. He didn't like have a, a, a hallmark moment with me and lock eyes and this meaningful appeal for me to change my ways. He just like dropped that deadpan and then grabbed a needle full of idocaine, stuck it in me and hacked off a chunk of my neck where right, like right where the, all those cells were mutating and this is also where I learned that contrary to everything we were told as kids from the X-Men and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, mutations don't actually turn us into superheroes or half-animal martial arts experts. They just kill us really slowly. <laughs> Bullshit jokes aside, I'm, like, I'm really lucky. The, that mutation I had at 29 was, was something called a basal cell carcinoma. And I know it's weird to say this, but if you're going to get skin cancer, that's the kind you want. Yep. Yeah. They're, they're slow growing. I, I, I told you, dude, my mom has worked for a dermatologist my whole life. I know all yeah. these terms. Yep. Yeah. So though, if you get those, they're slow growing. They're rarely fatal. The growth I had cut off a couple weeks ago was another basal cell. So again, I got lucky. But there's a lot of people, including people I know very well, who don't. Yeah. And, and truth is, nearly 18,000 Americans die of skin cancer every year. And so bringing this back, people who fish a lot, meaning you and, and me and Joe and your buddies... We spend a lot of time in the sun and, and that sun exposure drastically increases our chances of getting skin cancer. It's just truth. Also, men are more than twice as likely to die from skin cancer as women, mostly because as that doctor so astutely pointed out to me in my twenties, we have a higher <laughs> tendency toward idiocy and reckless behavior and stubbornness. Yeah. <laughs> this is especially true for young men. Not that it doesn't apply to young women. All of us should, should hear this, but those are just the stats. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, smearing on sunblock was just about as cool as wearing a bike helmet and like a tan served as this marker of legitimacy, right? Mm -hmm. Like you mm -hmm. could just look at someone to know like, oh, <laughs> they go outside. Like <laughs> He boogie boards. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think those attitudes are changing. At least like it seems that way. If the prevalence of buffs, I mean, for those of you who don't know, I'm talking about those stretchable synthetic foreskins that cover your neck and face. <laughs> the, the, the prevalence of buffs on the water is any indication people are starting to figure it out. Like I said at the beginning, I can't prove skin cancer is the leading killer of fishing guides, but just about every guide I know who's been at it for a while has had some form of skin cancer. And, and even if those facts I spouted for years were unfounded, I stand by the underlying intention that I had with making that statement, right? Like, if you're on the water a lot, like a fishing guide, you will get sun exposure. And basic science tells us that exposure has a good chance of giving you skin cancer, which very well might kill you. Or if you're lucky, just mean you have to go visit a friendly neighborhood dermatologist a couple times a year who will regularly come at you with sharp objects and charge you a lot of money for that privilege. I admit that covering myself from head to toe looks silly and reapplying sunblock every couple hours is annoying. But honestly, man, I, I wish I'd started doing it sooner. And, and like you were saying, so do most of the anglers that I know. Like yep. we all wish we had done this earlier. 
and we didn't, and now so, we're paying for it. Yeah, so dude, so do I. I because it, 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 it's it's not that big a deal, and I also think that there are so many better sunblocks out there now than when we were kids. Like it was all just totally. like greasy ass copper tone. Now, like my wife buys this shit. I mean, it's fifty six dollars a bottle, but it like it also improves <laughs> my skin. It like evaporates immediately. But I'm I'm very diligent about it now, and I have been for probably about the last ten years, like I said. But I will say one place I falter is I have this like, you know how they say no no white pants or shoes after Labor Day? I have this thing where if it's before May 1, I just forget about it. It's like it's not blazing summer, and like I burn myself at least once per spring in like March. You know what I mean? Because I'm just yep. not thinking about it then. Um, no, I, I screw this up too, but I, I try, I'm trying to be a lot better about it. Yeah. I really am. Yeah, and really the worst thing that comes from from being so diligent is at some point, inevitably, late in the day, you get the sweat eye run and like you're, oh. you're blind. Dude, the, the, That's the worst you thing. You it's, can't wash it out. You can't. You can't wash it out. It's terrible. Anyway, I um I don't appreciate the foreskin comment. Bye bye buff sponsorship of, of Bent. Just screwed the pooch on that one, but that's okay. Um, but, and but can you think of a better analogy? No, no, you no, can't. no, no. I cannot. I cannot. And this is good because I know a couple of kids who I'm hoping heed the great advice you you just gave. And this is a story I'll, I'll try to make uh, make quick. Uh, but if, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say many of you listening and, and your two hosts here, this is going to make you go, ah, thems were the days to be young and free and, and without a mortgage. This is from <laughs> ABC 27 news out of Des Moines, Iowa headline two college freshmen ditch school, go on nationwide fishing trip. Okay. Uh, that could have been truncated for me to read Joe ditches, all math classes, go surf fishing, still doesn't understand square roots. Okay. Um, anyway. So according to this story, best friends Luke Conson and Daniel Balserac of Virginia are living out of their parents' van while they drive state to state on a quest to catch each state's official state fish. The 18 and 19-year-old buddies decided to embark on this journey after the pandemic derailed their college plans. Um, and both of these dudes were scheduled to be freshmen at Clemson University. And here's a quote about this from Conson, and I... I want to read it a certain, I want to read it the way I think he would say it, but I, I won't. Okay. I'll just, anyway. So the quote is, uh, then about two weeks before moving in, they announced the first month of classes would be online and we didn't want to do that. So then the story <laughs> goes on to say the trip took some convincing for their parents and a lot of research and planning. Yeah. I bet it did fellas. Yeah. I bet it took a lot of convincing. And here's here's the thing, right? I looked these cats up on Instagram, and if you want to follow the journey, you can find them at fishall50. That's all spelled out. And I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm just going to say, based on looks alone, neither one of these kids would be turned off by a keg stand. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so if I put myself in their shoes at that age, it makes me wonder how the card was played, because I feel like I'd have been smart enough to tell my folks, like, you know, I'm really worried, mom and dad, that I won't get the education I deserve. You know, and I want to see your hard-earned tuition money setting me up for the best possible future success. So let's just wait. Let's just wait until I can get a quality in-person education where I can, you know, pop in and see the professor if I'm having trouble with my thesis. <laughs> but in my head, I'd be thinking no beer bongs, no skipping class to fish, and I still have to live with my parents. So yeah, f*** it, college right now okay and if i'm wrong about these two if i've misread them fine but uh i i do i feel so terrible for college kids right now especially freshmen because you go to be free and party your ass off and like learn a little bit of shit on the side um and if i proposed a nationwide fish tour to my dad he'd have been like yeah sit your ass down and log into business ethics right now so anyway, back to the story. Here's another quote. I think we're probably staying safer than most people just because we're not around too many people and we're just outside kind of living our lives, said Balzrak. I think it's a great way to take this opportunity of the pandemic and turn it into something that's pretty fun. Yeah, I'm so glad it's been fun for you two, buds. Okay, cheers to that. That's two people who don't want to cry every night, but that's okay. The Fish All 50 quest began on the East Coast, then up to the Northeast, and now into the Midwest. And Constant says, we just kind of gave it a purpose. There's a goal to it. It's not just any fish. It's the specific species, which adds a feeling of accomplishment when you actually do get it. It's a little more difficult. And then it closes out with this, right? And here's where I'm like, okay, wait a sec. 
The fishermen spent several days in Iowa trying to catch the channel catfish with no luck at first. They say <laughs> fishing is teaching them about patience and life in a pandemic. Dudes, no disrespect, but like it took you multiple days to catch a channel catfish, right? And days? They, days. You somehow managed the wild brookie in New Jersey, which is our state fish, yet like you're getting tripped up on, on channel cats? And like has panic buying in Iowa cleared the shelves of hot dogs and cherry Kool-Aid? You know what I mean? Um, but look. Or like chicken livers yeah, or yeah. beef hearts. So, so, or- I, <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep an eye on, on the gram and, and see what these dudes get up to. But like the channel cat struggle has got me wondering, like, is this, it was fishing just a ruse? You know what I mean? To do like nationwide party tour. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe it or, was like a. All right. Look, <laughs> I think that the quote that you read from them completely answers your question and i think you know it. when they say we gave it a purpose that is a clear signal to be like all right we need a road trip uh Dude, how are we gonna get the hell we, out of here away from our parents we, now the college how do, is how do we how do we justify this as like a legitimate thing that's like <laughs> learning based Oh, bro, I don't know. I like to fish. Do you fish? A little bit. Okay. <laughs> I, I think we're... And I'm not... But you I'm know what? That's great. Like, I'm throwing shade. Like, I'm not no, throwing shade. If that's what they did, if it's total bullshit, and it's just like, yeah, we're going to sell this state fish, maybe we can... Dude, maybe we can get credit for it later at Clemson. And, like, and good on that, you, man. If you're partying yeah. across the U.S. in a van in these hellish yes. times, I wish I was you. you yes. And, and not only that, they, they've managed to sell it and frame it well enough to get national media attention on it. Yes. Which... That tells me one thing and one thing alone. These guys are going to do great when they make it to college because they will be the kids that don't do any of the reading or any of the prep <laughs> and will come in and be able to BS their way through every lecture and every paper and every discussion and sound like it made sense and they planned it the whole way. So I think they have a bright future ahead of them and I wish them well in their quest. Well, we're going to see who's got a bright future here, you or me, uh, with Phil, who's about to weigh in and, 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 and declare a news winner this week. And stick around, because right after that, we're going to go do some drinking for That's My Bar. For inspiring me to make my own appointment with a dermatologist, Miles Nolte, you're the winner this week. <laughs> and going back to what you guys were talking about at the top of the show... I would like to give a shout out to Peer to Peer also ran iMesh for uh, teaching me that every vaguely reggae sounding song was written by Bob Marley. Every parody song ever written was by Weird Al Yankovic and for providing me with a incredibly low grade MP3 quality soundtrack as I awkwardly flirted with girls over AOL Instant Messenger, as well as other puberty driven horrors I experienced over my mom's Netscape connection. Best goddamn bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine. Or Portland, Oregon, for that matter. This week's That's My Bar submission comes to us from Trevor Hubs. Trevor was clearly bored one day at work and sent us a novella about his local watering hole that <laughs> turned into, like, by the end, it kind of just devolved into a self-diagnosed psychotherapy session. I, for one, can relate to overthinking insignificant stuff like, you know, where one chooses to drink beer. So I, I definitely resonated with this one. Uh, I had to edit it down a little bit for time, but uh, but here's Trevor's shout out. I'll just add before you start that, like pour yourself a glass of something and like snuggle in because this yeah. is like, that's, that's what this requires. It's so good. It's, it's very well done. <laughs> so Trevor says, what must a good fishing bar have? Good service? Unique and creative cocktails, decent food, friendly atmosphere, fair prices, a general sense that you won't get hepatitis C. If you don't need any of the above, then the Reef Point Resort in Hartford, Wisconsin is for you. Beautifully situated on Pike Lake in east central Wisconsin, Reef Point Resort offers all the basic necessities to keep you alive. Edible food, reasonable (laughs) shelter, and potable tap water. If you arrive too early, they may not be open, but don't worry. The door is always unlocked. You just have to act as your own bartender until someone arrives. Upon entering, you're immediately hit with the stale smell of spilled beer and whiskey, with just a hint of urine drifting in from outside. 
After a nasal adjustment, you slide up to the greasy bar and notice a crock pot full of chili from 1960 that's never been turned off. The bartender will be cleaning pint glasses with a dirty rag, but that doesn't matter because the beer is served in cans anyway. When the yuppies from Milwaukee and the fibs from Chicago go home each winter, a magical transformation occurs at the Reef Point Resort. This bar, so dingy and disheveled in the summer, somehow becomes a warm and inviting den when the snow flies. Cigarette smoke and steam from wet clothes mix with the smell of melting nylon from coats that got too close to numerous space heaters. The chili that in July you wouldn't feed your dog now inspires a craving more associated with a hungry wolf than a man. After a morning methodically jigging for perch on the frozen lake wasteland, this oasis of booze and warmth is the greatest place on earth. With the Badgers or Packers game on a small blurry 18-inch TV mounted in the corner, men and women sip on their partially frozen cans of beer, shovel dirty chili into their mouths, and talk about pikes so large they couldn't pull them through the hole in the ice. We paid 10 bucks for a frozen pizza with a piece missing because the bartender was hungry. $3 for a bowl of that questionable chili and three fifty for canned beer from 30 packs that sit in a stack against the wall behind the bar. But the best part is watching the other ice fishermen through the windows. You hear the familiar call of flag and watch overweight men past their prime race across the ice to their tip-ups. This sight over and over from November through February is what brings people to this small bar. We eat, drink, watch fat guys fall down, and we couldn't be happier. Every summer, I swear I'll never go in there again. But then December comes, deer season ends, and I find myself knee-deep in a six-pack, sharing a stranger's pocket jerky he calls a wildlife mix, and waiting for a tip-up so I can watch another mad dash across the ice. I can't tell if I just made myself depressed writing this review or if I can't wait for ice fishing season. This probably says more about small town Wisconsin winters than it does about the Reef Point Resort. But it's now five o'clock and I have been able to pretend to be working while I type out this email. But if my boss sees me stay past five, he'll know it's not for work. So gotta go. Oh my God. Thank you for that, Trevor. Bravo. Very well executed, dude. Why that was amazing. I think of, what, what is the nostalgic show with a young Fred Savage that has the narrator? The Wonder Years. The Wonder Years. Trevor, Wonder I, would like years. To, I would like to option this as a script for a, a <laughs> film in, that I will put in Sundance. Because that was... I, I couldn't even bring myself to interject because it was just so beautiful to listen to all that. No, I, I added nothing to that. That was all Trevor's vision when he was not working. And uh, I, 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 think, I think it was probably more productive than what he was supposed to do, in my opinion. Yeah, anyway. it, it, it could have been. Or maybe it's proof that he's missing his true calling. You need to be you know, writing for, for Reader's <laughs> Digest or something because you're that good. And there, there, are so many, there are so many references in there I could go off on, but I'll just stick to one. It was my favorite when he talked about the smell of the, the slightly melted nylon with the space mm-hmm. heaters. And that, yeah. that, that takes me back to a steelhead trip years ago uh, with a guide who was very proud of his brand new Sims Gore-Tex jacket that he accidentally threw on the propane stove that was cooking oh. our bacon and eggs on the drift boat. And we were all fishing going, what the hell? And it just melted around the entire stove and stunk up. Oh. It was awful. And that's what I thought of. So thank you for taking me back to that moment, Trevor, which I honestly had forgotten about. Anyway, if you guys have a great bar you want to shout out and kill time at the office uh, where you want to make it look like you're being productive when you're actually just waxing poetic about dive bars, send it our way, okay? You can find us at bent at com. and if you put in half as much effort, okay, as Trevor, <laughs> you'll have a good chance of grabbing our attention. So, you know, if you just happen to be in East Central Wisconsin and you want to spend a night drinking... You're welcome, because we just helped you out. I would go to that place. Heartbeat. But yep, <laughs> that's that's our kind of place. But maybe you're not in the mood to go out drinking. Maybe you're in the mood to spend a night fishing, and I respect that. That's the case. Joe's got an end of the line segment this week about one of our all time favorite lures that sounds so much sweeter in the dark. But like, if you really want to get a sense for it, it sounds the sweetest when it stops making noise because it just got uh-huh. hammered. Uh huh. In the dark of night. So listen up, kids, because you are about to learn why your granddad had more bass skills than you ever will, and why you can do more exciting things after sundown than watch TikTok 
if you just stop obsessing over all the new lures from Japan. Fishy, 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 fishy! Well, that's not loud enough, Bert. The first commercially produced lure Fred Arbogast ever unleashed on the angling masses was called the Tin Liz, a metal lure that looked like a rather anatomically correct bait fish with a hinged metal tail that flapped and wiggled. This was in 1932, and there's a strong chance that you've never heard of the Tin Liz, but over the next six years, old Fred dropped some innovative bombs on the angling world, several of which were so powerful that over 80 years later, fish are still dropping from the nuclear fallout of Fred's ingenuity. Some of his former bestsellers have drifted out of production, notably the Hawaiian Wiggler, a predecessor of the modern Chatterbait, and the Mudbug, which bears a striking resemblance to the modern squarebill crankbaits that many young whippersnappers probably assume were invented by Brandon Polinick or Aaron Martins within the last 20 years. No, you will not find an incredible selection of Arbogast lures at big box tackle shops these days, but you'll find two that remain pretty unchanged since their debuts. The Hula Popper, which hit the market in 1936, and the Jitterbug, which was released in 1938. And that is the one that is the object of my affection in today's segment. Many consider the Jitterbug the most innovative topwater lure of all time. They're available in several sizes and patterns, jointed and non-jointed. The bodies are oblong and look like tiny little Goodyear blimps, but despite the size, joint, and color combo you choose, all models feature an upturned, cupped, heart-shaped metal lip. And that, folks, is what really gives the Jitterbug its boom. All you have to do with a Jitterbug is cast and reel steadily. Warning, however, original Jitterbugs are light, air-resistant, and kind of cast like shit, but still, it's, it's worth overlooking that minor ding, okay? As the lure moves across the surface, its side-to-side walking-slash-waddling action forces the outer edges of that metal lip to tap the water, one side then the other, back and forth at a high rate of speed, and what you end up with is this high-pitched gurgle. Subsequently, all that lip slapping creates bubbles, which create a bubble trail, which basically draws an arrow to the target for fish below during the entire retrieve. Now, I love night fishing for any species that bites after dark, and despite the countless other varieties of walking topwaters, from birds to bats to, I don't know what they make now, chipmunks perhaps, ask any bass angler 40 or older what kind of topwater they tie on first for a dark ops hog roping session, most, if not all, are going to call out the jitterbug. From the get-go, Fred Arbogast designed the jitterbug to shine in low light. Now, back in a long-gone era, like before I had kids, I'd frequently drop my raft on the Delaware River after sundown for all-nighter jitterbug-only smallmouth floats. During that same era, I'd do the same thing on local stalker streams, swinging small jitterbugs through tailouts for holdover browns. And on trips across the country, I can't tell you how many times I've busted out a jitterbug only to shock another angler I'm with. It's like that moment of realizing you were both part of the same frat in college. You both fish a lure that's been around nearly a century, but act as if you're both in on some dark secret. So why is that? It's because the jitterbug isn't cool, man. It's not new. It's not from Japan. It's not being used by the Guggen Squad. It's not winning the Bassmaster Classic. It's fair to say it's squarely off the radar of the Young Bucks. And even when they see it, what they see is Grandpa's lure. And what the hell did he know? He didn't even have... Eight carrier braided line or squincher energy drink mix in his tactical tackle bag. Ironically, the current leadership at Arbogast is trying to change that via the Jitterbug 2.0. Same 1938 design, same action, though now those little blimp bodies come in colors like Chado, a mod frog pattern, mutant, featuring chartreuse tiger stripes that resemble the Monster Energy logo, and undead, which features a fish skeleton on the sides and zombie like eyes. Bonus, all of these new patterns glow in the dark. Now, I do appreciate the effort to get the kids excited about the jitterbug. And kids, if a jitterbug with a glowing skeleton gets you excited to buy it, buy it. That's great. Give it a whirl. And you'll soon realize that what you really need is a plain black jitterbug, just like your great-grandpappy threw. And that being able to see your jitterbug out there is no benefit to you or the fish. It's auditory, man. When that gurgle stops on a still summer night, you'll be hooked. Well, that's all the time we have this week. To recap, fillet knives can be a real pain in the ass when they're totally unnecessary to begin with. (laughs) You now understand the proper term for the place where your beer can goes on the boat. We found a bar that both smells like urine and has potable water. And Joe 
may still end up in jail <laughs> over all that music he's illegally downloaded. I, I expect the raid to happen anytime now, you know? So listen, before I head to the clink over bootleg gutter mouth <laughs> tracks, I still have books of CDs downstairs somewhere that like have all the music I downloaded from LimeWire on the disc. Yeah, I finally I was, threw them away in the last move. They're still in, you know, anyway. I would love to have some more emails from you guys before I get locked away. So please keep those comments, criticisms, suggestions, bar nominations, awkward photos, checking account routing numbers, and sale bin <laughs> items coming to bent at the mediator.com. Yeah, and hey, it's December, oh. which means some of you might, maybe, mm. possibly be getting out on the ice this weekend if there is any that's right and remember if you're unsure of the thickness do the safe thing and send your huskiest friend out there first you ever get that feeling the walls closing in the concrete jungle suffocating you You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, Enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.